You're about to listen to a message by Pastor Oge Ogwe, the lead pastor of Circle Church International. He envisions all men living Christ-centered lives. Be blessed as you listen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. All right, for those of you that I'm seeing for the first time this year, Happy New Year. Welcome to church. Say hi to three people around you. Welcome to church. You look very nice. I love what you're wearing. You look great. It's good to see you. And then if you can, take your seats. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God is good. All right, I thought you forgot, and all the time. Okay, I want to go into the teaching, but before I do, I want to take some time to um, make some announcements. Um, for a while, Adora has served as the cluster leader for the Suleri Cluster Group, but now life and other things, school, and you know, all of that, um, will be taking her out of the country for a while and I just want to use this opportunity to appreciate the work that she has done. Can you put your hands together for her? We love you. Thank you so much for all you've done for us. Alright. Praise the Lord. As you travel, Pastor Tamawa is waiting for you. Philippians chapter 1 verse 25. Welcome to the year of true light. Philippians chapter 1, verse 25. Everybody read together, want to go. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of the faith. I'm going to assume that you didn't read because you didn't see the screen. So now it's on the screen. Everybody read as loud as you can, want to go. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance. Hallelujah. I have often taught from this verse of scripture. And usually when I teach from this verse of scripture, I teach along the lines, I say two things. Number one, progress in the faith is discernible. Hallelujah. And number two, there's such a thing as progress in the faith. Progress in the faith only happens when there's furtherance, when there's joy in the faith. But there's a third thing I want to say today, and it is this. Progress in the faith is programmable. It's programmable or programmable. Progress in the faith can be programmed. That's what I'm trying to say. It can. Your spiritual growth can be programmed. And that's good. Paul can boldly say, knowing this, I will continue with you for your progress and joy in the faith. So he knows that if I'm with you and you are with me, you will grow. That means there is an automated system to ensure that growth happens. Do you understand what I'm saying? That as long as all the factors, the only factors we need to be present for this growth to happen is that I'm with you and you are with me. And we are continuing with each other. If we continue with each other, you will grow. You will experience progress in the faith, which will lead to joy in the faith. 
There's a song we used to sing when we were young that somewhat perfectly encapsulates this idea. And it was a sound by David, creating me a clean heart, O Lord, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, O Lord, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. When a clean heart has been created, when a new spirit has been given, the next thing is joy in salvation. The difference between David's paradigm and our paradigm is that in David's paradigm, there was no indwelling presence of the Holy Ghost. But right now, we have the Holy Ghost living in us. Amen? Amen. Which means that when the Holy Ghost has come into us, a new spirit has been given, a right heart has been given, what should be the next experience? Joy of salvation. So Paul says, knowing this, I will continue with you for your progress in the faith. If you aren't experiencing joy of salvation, it's because there's no progress in your faith. Praise the Lord. How do we come about progress in the faith? I was talking to a pastor friend of mine. He was about to start an itinerant ministry. Now, as it is with all my friends and I, we flow graciously in the things of the Spirit. I mean, if we decided that every Sunday service would be a Holy Ghost meeting, you know, say, go up, you go run out, steady. But I was telling him something. I said, think of ministry like cake. Flowing in the things of the Spirit will only be the icing on the cake. The main substance is the teaching of God's Word. You see, there are churches where because people are drawn to um, the spectacular, they focus a lot of their time on the spectacular. So they focus a lot of time on teaching, on, on the flow of the spirit, on prophecies, on miracles. Now, this is the thing about that kind of a system. You will have a lot of people in church, but you won't have church in a lot of people. Yes. So you will have many people who come to see spectacular things happen. Many people who have problems, who come to get solutions to their problems. But guess what you won't have? People who are growing in the things of God. If we must grow as God's children, it must be God's word that will do the growing. You see, listen, the miraculous will tickle your fancy. It will excite your imagination. But the word of God will shape your mind. And guess what? In the day of trouble, it's not what you imagine that delivers you. It is what has crystallized in your thought patterns that will deliver you. Do you hear what I'm saying? That's why the word of God is important. I've forgotten who it was that said that the mind is like a sponge. Whatever you feed it, it will deliver. Whatever you feed your mind, it will deliver. I was talking to someone during the week. A young man came to see me during the week. He said, um, the Lord called him into ministry, but he doesn't know how to teach. I said, if you don't know what to teach, the problem is not that you don't know what to teach. It's that you you don't have a Bible study culture. You see, if you do have a Bible study culture, your mind will be filled with the word. When it is time to deliver, it's like a sponge. Listen, if you want water to flow out of a sponge, 
let's say you want four drops of water to flow out and I'm not, don't think sponge like the one you used to bathe think sponge like foam right you want water to flow out of foam what you want from the foam is five drops of water do you put the foam under the tap and have five drops drip into the foam is that what you do no you drip you dip the foam inside a bucket of water then what let us know that he has enough water to start with then we'll now worry about regulating just five drops are you with me many times the faith you are looking for in the day of trouble is absent because your mind is not full of it yet do you hear what i'm saying ah he's absent you thought, you thought how you would acquire faith is by having five drops of faith applied because that's what I need later. But when you get there, you now realize that by the time you've put only five drops of water in foam, it's difficult to squeeze it out. Is that correct? So you'll find out that even if I've heard sermons on faith and I've heard people talk about faith, why can't I have this thing now? Your mind is not full. Jesus said the eyes are the window to the soul. He said if your eyes be single, your body will be full of light. There's, a, there's an amount of focus on God's word that will produce light within you. Do you hear what I'm saying? Yeah. Until that focus is present, that light will be absent. So Paul says, knowing this, I will continue with you for your progress and joy in the faith. It's noteworthy that Jesus had died and he was raised from the dead. And he didn't appear to the disciples and say, look at me, my face show, my shoe shine. I'm a fine boy. You know, I've done all that I said. No, the Bible says that for the space of 50 days, he sat with them. And what was he doing? Teaching. He was teaching them every day. If you do not have an endurance for God's word, you're making yourself an open prey for the devil. Listen, he was teaching. He was teaching. We cannot grow beyond the amount of God's word that we have ingested. Do you hear what I'm saying? Listen, it is God's word that guardrails us. It's God's word that keeps us safe. He was teaching them. In 2000 and I think it was 2018 I was talking to a young man I was trying to disciple the young man but every time he would come and meet me and say pastor I have a question and I say what's your question he would say is it right to do XYZ XYZ and I want to take time to say well the Bible says this and this he would say no pastor just go straight to the point I will understand is it yes or no and I kept trying to explain to him that if I always give you the answer you will always have questions but if I teach you God's word, when the question comes, you will know the answer by yourself. He left till today. He's not grown one bit. One of the signs of the end times, Paul says, is that men will heap unto themselves false teachers, people with sweet tongues who don't teach the truth. They have itchy ears. Let us not be those kinds of people. Listen, can we agree that this year we will not pick and choose what it is that we want to learn from God's word? We won't pick and choose the kind of teachings we want to hear. We would listen to everything that is taught from God's word as it is taught from God's word. Yes, Can we agree? Yes, 
let us not be a generation of Christians that are sensual alone, moved by the sensualities. So it's good when someone is talking about relationships. It's good when someone's talking about mental health, peace. How God's promise is peace. We like to hear sermons like that. We like to hear sermons on becoming a better version of yourself. We don't want to hear sermons on righteousness. We don't want to hear expository sermons. When the pastor starts to wax theological, we say, ah, it's too, it's too much. Listen, you are saved by what you know. My people are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. Which means those who are not destroyed don't lack knowledge. Does that make sense? Yes, huh? It makes sense. You are saved by what you know. So when we take time to establish doctrinal foundations, give yourself wholly to these things, Paul says. Give yourself wholly, all of you, to these things. When you go to school to learn a, a field of study or to learn a, a, to pick up a career path, you don't choose the one that is interesting. Imagine if you only read the topics you liked in school. You will come out with a bouncing baby F. You will finish with third class or pass. That's what you finish with. So I don't like indices. I like addition and subtraction. I will only learn addition and subtraction. Indices can wait. <laughs> oh Lord Jesus. That's why we must pay rapt attention to God's word. Listen, a habit or skill, an attitude that I want you to pick up this year is attention to God's word. And you can train yourself in the little ways. You know how you speed read through your Bible? Stop it. So today, I'm going to read from Joshua chapter 1 verse 1 to 10 and then you just start reading and then when you get to verse 8 because that one you know it this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth and you shall be careful to meditate therein day and night and you'll be careful to observe all that is written therein and then thou shalt make thy way prosperous and you shall have good success verse 9 verse 10 what did you read this book of the law shall not that, that's all you knew we read our bible like we're listening to someone except sound bites we want sound bites, popular verses. No, take time now. Do you understand what I'm saying? Take time. Read verse one. Where is verse one coming from, and where is it going to? Read verse two. Many times, most of your struggle with Bible study comes from your impatience. Many times, your struggle with your Bible study it comes from impatience. If you are just patient to say. How did verse 1 start? Where did it come from? Okay, so for instance, verse 1 starts with now. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Obviously, that's not where the conversation started. Is that correct? If someone just walks up to you randomly and says, now, and starts talking, you will look at now what? Like, what did you say before the now? I didn't hear you. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now is a connection. It connects two things. So you read Hebrews 11.1 1, and then you realize, oh, it doesn't start here. Let's start from Hebrews 10. Let's see where the thoughts came from. Patience. Have an attention to God's word. Can we do that this year? Yes, sir. And so that's why we are starting with this particular teaching series on Christian identification. I will teach you a lot this year 
are like Paul, I promise you that I will remain with you for your progress and joy in the faith. A pastor's responsibility primarily in the life of his people, in the life of the church, is progress and joy in the faith. Do you hear what I'm saying? I know that you have been told that um, a pastor is a good pastor if he's a philanthropist. You know, dashes out money, takes care of your problems, most likely financial problems. All right, takes care of your financial problems. A pastor is good. But if you have a pastor who does all of those things, but he doesn't teach God's word well, he's a terrible pastor. When he stands before God, maybe you don't understand. We don't answer to you, we answer to God. When we stand before God, God is not going to say, how many of your church members do you pay their school fees? Stand here. If you know that you paid less than 10% of your church members' school fees, just come to this side before I get to you. Don't even bother. Don't, don't just move to this side. The rest of you come here. If you're only 11%, join them because you are like them. <laughs> That's not what God is going to ask. I give you my word to shepherd people. What did you do Is it? Paul was speaking to Timothy. Paul was speaking to his son who was a pastor and he was giving him advice and he says, pay attention to sound doctrine. He says, in so doing, you will save yourself and your hearers. You will. So if you will stick with me this year, I will give you progress and joy in the faith. When you come to church and we're doing a meeting, we're having a sermon and the sermon is not how to feel good or it's not making you feel good in fact the sermon may be choking you aha I need to change don't go away don't run away amen, amen. sometimes growth is fun but many times it's not amen 2nd Peter chapter 1 verse 9 I think 2nd Peter chapter 1 from verse 5 to 9 let's begin today's teaching Everybody read 2 Peter 1, 5 together, one to go. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, next verse, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, verse 7, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity, verse 8. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge. It is possible to be unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's possible. Do you hear what I'm saying? It's possible to have received the seed of the Spirit and not bear fruit. possible. In fact, if you read from verse 5 again and read all the way to verse 8, it will look very similar to another portion of scripture you know, Galatians chapter 5, and the fruit of the spirit is love, joy. Take notes. This is how Peter teaches it. Act to your patience, this, and to virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, temperance. This is how Peter teaches it. How Paul says it is the fruit of the spirit. is love, is joy, is peace, is long suffering. But guess what? Both of them are saying the same thing because both of them are saying, when the spirit of God has come inside of you, there is fruit that he must produce. And these are those fruits. 
God hates waste. Do you know? God really hates waste. That's why he cursed the fig tree. Because he hates waste. There is fruit that you must produce as a believer. How fruitful are you as a believer? How much of these things show forth in your life as a believer? And so, Paul says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, is joy, is peace, is long-suffering, temperance, faithfulness, gentleness, meekness. And then he ends by saying, against such there is no law. Which means that when the Holy Ghost has come inside of me, he naturally starts to produce this fruit. But not everybody exhibits this fruit. And Paul didn't give us a real reason why in Galatians 5. But Peter does. Look at the next verse, verse 9. He says, but he that lacketh these things is what? Nice. Come on now. Is what? Nice. He says, and cannot see afar off because he has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. There is such a thing as spiritual nearsightedness, short-sightedness. It's a real thing. When you can't see as far back as the cross, and so you derive your identity from something other than the work that was done on the cross. You have forgotten who you were. You have forgotten where you came from. That's what Peter says. You know how if you went to boarding school, when you were leaving home, for many of you, your parents called you and they said the age-old statements, remember the son of whom you are. That's what Peter is saying here. That if you lack fruits as a believer, you've forgotten who you are. There is a real identity crisis going on. You've taken on the identity of someone else. Listen, behind every attempt of the devil to keep you unfruitful is an identity crisis. What the devil fights the most is who you are. Let it sink in. What the devil fights against the most is who you are. It's the nature of his temptations. He looks to Jesus, says to him, if you are the son of God, turn bread and turn stone to bread. Maybe you are hungry. You are son of God. The whole son of God. Agba miracle worker. You cannot turn stone to bread. Turn stone to bread. When he eats, take risk and succeed. It wasn't about bread or stone. It wasn't. It was an identity crisis. He was trying to get Jesus to seek validation of who he is from other people. <laughs> so, prove to me that you are the son of God by turning stone to bread. Immediately, I begin to, I begin to call to question in your mind your identity. Are you really the son of God? I now feel the need to prove it to you by turning stone to bread. Behind, listen, let me tell you, behind all those struggles that the devil has held you in, is an identity crisis. 
in Genesis chapter 3 verse 5, he says to Eve, he says, For God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Notice the proposition. Eat, you will be as gods, knowing good and evil. But Eve was already created in the image and likeness of God. Is that correct? Eve was already created in the image and likeness of God. They were already given a mandate to multiply. They were already in their own right godlike. There was no offering the devil gave Eve that she didn't already have. <laughs> so what was the real temptation? Was it really about the fruits? No. Identity crisis. Peter says, if you, if you are not fruitful as a Christian, you are, you are blind. He says you are blind. You are nearsighted. You can't see far. That's where the devil likes to hide. Just beyond the reach of what you can see. In obscurity. In darkness. There are two extremes to this problem. Those who hide in identity crisis that tend towards um, extreme sinfulness and those who hide in identity crisis that tends towards extreme condemnation. I was watching an interview yesterday. This wasn't the one that trended during the week. I just watched an older interview where a man was interviewing. Was it yesterday or the day before yesterday? He was interviewing a man that called himself a homosexual pastor. And I strongly believe that the pastor himself was a Christian. He just derived his identity from the wrong place. Do you know that? Allow me to say this. Do you know that otherwise nobody derives their identity from their sexuality? Do you know? You don't go about calling yourself a heterosexual man. Is that correct? Say I'm heterosexual. In fact, until people started identifying as homosexual, we didn't know we were heterosexual. <laughs> there was no term for it. There was, but we didn't know it. You don't walk around identifying yourself as... In fact, we identify ourselves as other things. A fat person, a slim person, but no, not really your sexuality. Until the devil convinced us that that's something you need to identify yourself as now. So I'm a gay pastor. I'm not, I'm not, but <laughs> obviously I'm not. <laughs> but you get my point, right? Listen, I want to use today's teaching to run an introduction to Christian identification. Before I start talking about righteousness and all of those things, let me start from draw your identity from the right place. And the right place is the cross. Do you hear what I'm saying? What makes me worth anything is that Christ died for me. Do you hear me? My biggest value is drawn from the death of Jesus on the cross. If you draw your identity from anywhere else, it will fail you one day. It will. The devil likes to help people draw their identity from wrong places. Like, Think of how, 
this is the mechanism of temptation. Let me teach you now how temptation works. It will make it a little easier to overcome temptation. Temptation works from focus. The biggest principle of temptation is focus. Let me explain. You see that tree in the middle of the garden or wherever the tree was? Eve had passed by that tree every morning, every day. She had, it never occurred to her to stand and eat from that tree. Why? There was no focus on the tree. Until the devil came and said, now, he didn't even know which tree that God, because he wasn't there. Contrary to popular opinion, he's not omniscient. He doesn't know all things. I hope you know. He didn't know which tree. He wasn't there when God was telling Eve. He just, he probably just heard gist that God told Eve something about tree. Hello, Eve. Good morning. How's the family? Has God said you should not eat of any tree in the garden? And then Eve says, well, of all the trees I can eat, save the two. I said, ah, those two, I know them. Eat of the tree. He draws attention and focus to that thing. And the Bible says, Eve was looking at the thing until it became, it became desirous to make one wise. How do you look at a fruit and decide, if I eat this fruit, I'll be wise? <laughs> temptation. That's how temptation works. So, for instance, your father kept money somewhere. You have passed everywhere in the house. That money, you've seen that money before. It didn't enter your eye. Until one day the devil whispered it in your ear that do you know if you take out of this money, your father will know. Now you start toying with the idea. And from the moment that idea enters your mind, it begins to feel like that's the only thing you can think about. Am I saying the truth? It begins to feel like that's the only thing I can think about. All my, in fact, I'm lying down and all my mind is working on this. Carry that money, I can take it too. And nothing will happen to me. Focus. That's exactly what the devil does with identity crisis. He makes you zero in so much on a lie or something you shouldn't draw your identity from. He makes you zero in so much on it that it now becomes all of you. The principle is that your eyes are the window to the soul. If your eyes be single, your body will be filled with light. Then the question Jesus asked was, if the light that is coming in is darkness, how great is that darkness? So the devil tells you, or the devil tries to convince you, that don't worry, you are, you are a Christian. But the type of Christian you are is the type of Christian that does not like rules. That's who you are. Start saying it. You too, start saying it. I, don't, I believe that we can... Re- I, don't, I don't think... This was what that man was saying. I don't think that God is rigid. I think that God is fluid. He flows. He can, he can mend into whatever form we need him to be. So all these rules, have you heard someone say something like this before? All these rules that they are always giving us in church, they're just man-made ideas. God is love. And so the only rule that God wants from us is love. If we can walk in love, we will be perfect Christians. You focus so much on it. When you come to church and they say, don't do this. Because you identify as a rule-breaking Christian. That's where I am now. I will break the rules. 
Listen. Make sure that at every point in time, the most important definition you give yourself is that Christ died for me. Do you hear what I'm saying? Even before you define yourself by gender. Do you hear me? Even before you define yourself by gender, define yourself as one who Christ died for. One reason why many people don't do ministry, especially ladies, is because they first of all define themselves as ladies before one who Christ died for. If you flip it, you will see the responsibility. And you will forget about your gender and go and get the work done. Don't forget who you are. Don't be so short-sighted that you can't see as far back as the cross. Don't. Praise the Lord. There's something I've been saying since I think 2019. Remembrance is a strategy for victory. Remembrance is a strategy for victory. And I think Jesus taught it also. In the book of Luke, there was a time um, Jesus' disciples went into a city to preach. And when these boys came out of the city, they were, they were um, I think, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Also, if you translate it, it means the sons of thunder. These were fiery boys. I mean, they were ready at any point in time. They went inside to preach. When they finished preaching, they chased them away from the city. Do you know how terrible that is? Imagine you stand up in the bus to preach and then you are done preaching. In fact, as they praise the Lord, they say, shut up. Shut up. Sit down. <laughs> Chase them out of the city and they went back to meet Jesus and they said to him, Jesus, good morning. How are you today, great master? Please don't be angry. Can we call down fire on this city? Like Elijah called down fire. And guess what? They justified the calling down of fire. You see, because if they rejected the gospel, they were siding with the devil. Is that correct? Uh So just like Elijah called down fire on Baal's prophets, let us also call down fire on these sons of Belial so that they will know that our God is the true God. You know all those lies we tell ourselves when we want to walk in the flesh? We find a way to spiritualize the lie and say that the reason why I'm not paying my tithe is because I'm saving so that the investment will grow so that when I'm giving it will be more. Then you cover it up with the parable of the talent. One person took and he multiplied it to ten. Say God is more interested in the multiplication than in the sowing. Can I hear an amen? The devil knows how to preach nonsense and make it sound good. And it's not just about giving. There are other, that was the easiest um, example that came to mind. There are other places where we tell these lies. Other places where we tell these lies. I don't know why it's just giving examples that come into mind. There's another lie we tell ourselves. The transportation I took to church is a type of offering. You've never heard it before. You've never lied that lie to yourself before. Because I've heard people say it before. That even if I don't have, if you have told yourself that lie before, raise your hand. Be honest. My hand is up. Be honest. Thank you. Thank you, comrades, for being honest. 
that even if I don't have 100 naira to give as offering, I enter transport to it. It's a show of my... And listen, I understand where you are coming from. It is better to say that, God, please see my heart. The last money I had, I used it to enter transport. I don't have more to give. If I had more to give, I would give. That's more sincere than saying, my transport is a form of offering to God. sons of thunder, they justified their madness. They said, let us call down fire on this city. We are angry. Let's, and then when they finished talking, the Bible says Jesus rebuked them in that instant. You know, when we, when we read the Bible, we don't understand the magnitude of some words as they are used. So when we imagine the conversation, we imagine them coming with ginger. Now, master, 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 let's call down fire on this city. And Jesus says, no, you don't know what spirit you are of. No, that was not how it happened. A rebuke is a stern correction. Sharp. So it's something along the lines of as they were still talking, Jesus said, shut up! You don't know what spirit you are of. You have no idea what spirit you are of. (laughs) When you constantly walk in unforgiveness, you are short-sighted. Do you hear what I'm saying? If you are consistently seeking revenge, vengeance, you are short-sighted. You are forgotten. You are drawing identity from the wrong place. You do not know what spirit you are of. You've lost your sense of identity. Listen, let me tell you something. There's something that a sense of self-worth gives to you. It does, there's something it does to your mind. You just realize there are some conversations I can't have anymore. Some things I can't be found doing anymore. I mean, when you just finished NYSE, apologies to those of you who are just finishing NYSE, we are just starting. But you left school, you just finished NYSE, you were still trying to fit into the world, right? And so you were still struggling with life, you didn't really have money. So if conductor should chop your 15 naira change, you will, me and you will fight here on the, in the bus stop. It doesn't matter who is passing by. But as you grow, you have a, a good job now. Some things become beneath you. Even if I have to take a bus to work every day, if the guy should chop my 15 naira change, it will pain me. But I know that it's better I walk away than I'll be found fighting with conductor at Oshodi bus stop. So when you come down, you look at the situation and just say, you're happy, Abby? Okay, and then you go. Is it because you are foolish? No, self, sense of self-worth. Am I saying the truth? Ah, sense of self-worth. There are some things that are beneath you as a Christian. Unforgiveness is beneath you. Do you hear me? It's beneath you. It's too childish. That sense of pettiness, I must revenge. I must have the last say. I want to give them a piece of me. It's too childish. How many people do you want to give pieces of you? If you give all of them, how much of you will remain? It's too childish. Let's go of it. Remember who you are. Jesus rebuked them sternly. The next time you feel the need to pray, Father, every enemy from the, you know, sometimes, you know, sometimes we, we open, we generalize a blank check. Every enemy, every hater from my father's side, my mother's side, from the east, west, known and unknown. 
that have die, die by fire. We open sometimes we mention specific names. Father, in Kechi, she must die. <laughs> the next time you want to and laugh now. Many of, many of you laugh as if you don't pray these prayers in your, in, your, in your anyone sitting on my seats that I'm meant to be sitting on. What are you waiting for? Give way. <laughs> The next time you start uttering those things, hear Jesus' words. Shut up! You don't know what spirit you are of. You don't know what spirit you are of. Listen. Did. <laughs> There's so much to learn. We are people of the New Testament. People of the New Covenant. The New Covenant perfected and properly exposed the old covenant and so there are some practices in the old covenant that are corrected in the new Moses said to you but I say to you do you understand so when the disciples met Jesus and they said let us call down fire like Elijah called down fire and Jesus says you know not what spirit you are of do you realize that in so doing he also rebuked Elijah do you realize it so when you are singing power as of old, descend down, and what you are thinking is like Elijah called down fire. I too must call down fire to devour my enemies. The only fire that answers to the Christian is fervor now. Do you hear what I'm saying? Fervor. That's the only fire you call down. Fervor in your spirits. Praise the Lord. Have a healthy sense of identity. Some things are beneath me. I'm too big for this. I'm too big for I'm too big for this. And it wasn't only Jesus that thought like this. Paul did too. I think it was Romans chapter 16. Let me see. Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 6, verse 16. Romans 6, 16. Are you learning something this morning? Romans 6, 16. He says, know ye not. Say, know ye not. Say it again. Know ye not. Say it one more time. Know ye not. Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom you obey, that whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Paul's approaches. Do you not know? Or have you forgotten? Don't you know? Have you forgotten? There has to be a remembrance. Like this mem we keep it to memory. Do you get what I'm saying? We keep it to memory. We keep it to memory. Just like Joshua 1 8 teaches us to do. We meditate therein day and night that we may be careful to observe all that is written therein. Only then would we have good success. Only then. So Paul says, Know ye not. So listen, when it comes to, we're starting with this teaching, this teaching in this year where we want to use the word of God to grow you spiritually. Because when it comes to spiritual growth, this is the foundation. <laughs> know ye not. The word of God has been taught. Keep it to memory. Remember it. This is the reason why we go through the extra um, exercise of recording this sermon. You can get my voice, can't you? 
So why do we take time to do this, to spend money on buying a microphone, spend money on recording all of this? Because we want you to remember. Praise the Lord. First Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Everybody read together. I want to go. Know ye not that you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Say, Know ye not. Say, Know ye not. This was Paul's approach. In fact, my very favorite, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15. 1 Corinthians 6, 15. Are you there? Read together, one to go. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid! Why did Paul talk like this? You have somebody in the local assembly sleeping around with prostitutes, and then Paul calls him, and Paul doesn't say, uh-uh, Brother Peter B, don't you know that, uh, mm-mm. I'm not talking about our future president. It just came to mind. And he goes, he doesn't go on and say, don't you know it's a sin to sleep? No. Paul is teaching us something. If you find a believer walking in a pattern of sinfulness, the first thing we must investigate is short-sightedness. Do you hear me? The first thing we ought to correct is short-sightedness. Have you forgotten don't you know? Don't you know? Notice that Paul didn't say, eh, don't you know that you will go to hell? You are going to hell. Oh, ah, it's automatic. You have already gone to hell. As I'm looking at you like this now, fire is on your body. <laughs> that, that wasn't Paul's response. He, he looked at this young man or young woman who was sleeping with harlots. And he said, ah, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Don't you know that he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit? How can you go and join your body? Come on now, do better. Say identity. You must know who you are. You must know who you are. The question always remains the same in the realm of the spirit. Paul, I know. Jesus I know, but who are you? Every time, anytime you stand up to make a claim in the realm of the spirit, that question will be asked. Do you hear what I'm saying? Are you praying for a promotion? That question is going to be asked. Are you praying for favor? It will be asked. Are you praying for God's intervention in something? It will be asked. The devil will always ask, I know Paul, I know Jesus, I know these names that you are invoking up and down. But come close. Who are you? What right have you to demand that I stop oppressing you? What right? Say, Satan, every uh, father in the name of Jesus, every demon oppressing me, I decree and declare it is gone in Jesus' name. And the demon will ask you, what right have you? How dare you? What will your response be? <laughs> what will your response be? 
Will you stand up tall, look the demon in the face and say, I'm a child of God, God's own son, God's chosen, God's elect, God's beloved. I'm the one upon whom God has given his spirit. I'm the one that the spirit of God rests inside. If I talk, you listen. Or do you cower in shyness and say, God, help me. Because nothing will happen if you do the second one. Nothing will happen. He will always call to question your identity. It's the reason why you get to pray and the devil, the entire day, this never came to mind. The moment you bow your needs before the Father of heaven from whom all the nations of the earth are named, you bow your needs to pray. The devil will now come and remind you of the wrong things you did that day. The whole day. It didn't come to mind. The moment you bowed your knees, your knees to pray, the devil will remind you that, what are you doing? You are praying. You that you can lie. You are, your mouth is smelling because of all the lies you've told today. You want to use that mouth to talk to God. Stop it. Stop that nonsense. <laughs> what is he doing? He's asking, who are you? Do you hear what I'm saying? The Lord tells you, I want you to do a work. Get XYZ person or get this number of people, get them saved, disciple them, and then the devil comes to you and say, You disciple who? I be a my joke to you. The sins that we are both struggling with, how far those sins you want to disciple people like this? When he's doing that, what is he asking? Who are you? Who are you to think you can do anything God has asked you to do? In moments like that, you don't start crying and start siding with the devil and start saying, it's true. I still have so much to work on. I remember when I first started ministry, someone called me. I know he meant it as, you know, an ordinary statement, but it had a greater impact on my heart. Uh, not when I started ministry, when I started the church, right? And he said, so like this now, this is what you will do every Sunday for the rest of your life. Are you sure you are ready for this? And I went home and I started thinking about it. Am I sure? Because you see, personally, in my own personal life, sometimes I battle with consistency. So I'm wondering, will I be able to do this every Sunday? Will I be able to achieve all of this? Am I sure that God, did you call me? Am I sure I'm not hearing? And then I listened to another sermon. And the man said, if God called you, you need 10 years of prayer to crystallize the call. So I'm not joking. There was that. So I heard that sermon and I, I, I was just sure that God did not call me. Because I've not crystallized anything at all. Not that I've crystallized. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And so I started questioning, who am I? Am I supposed to do this? And the Holy Ghost brought the scripture to mind. Let me show you. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I'll show you for those of you who are right where I was that time. 2 Corinthians 3, 4 to 6. It says, And such trust have we through Christ to God's word. Next verse. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of us as of ourselves, but our sufficiencies of God. Hey, next verse it says, Who has made who also hath made us able ministers 
of the New Testament. So every time the Lord tells me, do something, and I wonder, am I sure I remember? He has made me an able minister of the New Covenant. So what do I do? I go ahead and say it. I'm an able minister. I'm, I'm, I'm able. I'm, God has made me able. I'm an able minister. I know who I am. When the devil questions, have you prayed enough? You say, no, no, no. Prayer is good, but I'm already able by the Spirit. Do you know what I'm saying? So I'm going to rely on the Holy Ghost even as I pray. That's what the devil does. He will always ask you, who are you? What right have you? What right have you to make any statement? What right have you to be bold? But thanks be unto God, who always causes us to triumph. Who am I? I am triumphant in Christ. I'm the called of God. God's elect, God's chosen, God's able minister, God's man and scepter. I'm called of God. That's who I am identity. I know who I am. I won't let the devil steal it from me. Not in fits of anger. Not when I'm scared. Not when I'm jealous. Not when I need vindication. None of that. I'm God's call. The one Christ died for. I draw my identity from the cross. Hallelujah. 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 This is why we take time to teach things like this. I think it was Charles Spurgeon that said, I will teach my people about righteousness every Sunday because they will forget. Yes. I mean, imagine what your life would be like if you made a mistake, you did something you ought not to do, you feel guilty about it, you feel bad about it, but you want to pray and you bow your knees and the devil will come and say, how dare you pray? Don't you know you slept with who you shouldn't be sleeping with? Don't you know you stole something from XYZ? And instead of you to go ahead with this prayer of thought, you say, no, 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 no. Listen, I may have made a mistake, but I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm sorry for what I did, but devil, this is an affair between a father and his child. You have no say here at all you have no say none nothing so go away let me talk to my daddy i know we've been told that um, the devil the, the picture that has been painted is that there is a court in heaven the father is seated the son is your advocate the devil is, is against you and then they are making arguments that's not the way it is the devil cannot be where God is do you hear what I'm saying that's not the way it is if anyone is making a case against you it's you the devil just convinces you that you need to make a case against yourself do you know did you read in Genesis did you realize that it was Adam that said, we sinned against you and we were guilty, so we hid. Notice that none of it was God. God didn't hide them or hide from them. God didn't push them. They were the ones that did the condemnation. That's how the devil works. So he comes to meet you with all these lies and then you say, it's true, I'm not going to pray. You've made a case against yourself. So when Jesus, the advocate, is advocating, he's not advocating against the devil, he's advocating against you. He's trying to save you from you. Do you hear what I'm saying? Yes, sir. So, be the wise one and side with your advocate. 
imagine imagine in, a, in an earthly law you know a court and then there is a criminal he's supposed to face the death penalty and there is a lawyer advocating for him to get out of it but he is there trying to say no I deserve it no I'm supposed to go through come on now <laughs> but that's what we look like when we buy the devil's lies that's what we look like when the devil tells you you are not qualified you say it's true other people have gone to seminary other people pray 20 hours other people pray this one me I'm still starting I don't think I'm qualified and then you are saying this and Jesus is trying to tell you he's, he's reminding you you are an able minister of the new covenant but you are saying no 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 I'm not qualified you, you are making a case against yourself the devil can't come he can't stand before God and say this, this person sinned or this person did wrong. Do you realize that the promise is that I will wipe away your sins and I will never remember them again? So if there's any remembrance of sin, it's coming from you. Are you following me? So when we stand before God, we've done something wrong. Should we feel bad? Yes, if you don't, something is wrong. Should you feel like I shouldn't have done that? Yes. Should you feel very bad? Yes. But there is a there's something called gutsy guilt. Do you hear me? It's it's what Jesus described when he described the sinner and the Pharisee praying. And the Pharisee came and stood before God. I give my tithe. I'm not like this sinner here who doesn't do anything. I pay my offerings. I do all of that. And then Jesus described the prayer of the sinner. He said the sinner stood and he beat his chest and said, God is merciful unto me. What? You've been described as a sinner, but when you stand before God, you don't say, Father, we're not worthy to come before you. No, 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 no. You're saying, God is merciful unto me. I know I did something wrong, but God is merciful unto me. I know I shouldn't have gone there, but God is merciful unto me. And so because of that mercy, I will start again and I will do the right thing next time. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. In this generation where the devil tries to keep us in definitions, in boxes of definitions, that are not really who we are. So you are overwhelmed you probably struggle with some anxiety you now want to label yourself as an anxiety warrior that's not who you are you are not your struggles nobody identifies by their their conditions do you get what i'm saying it's not the right thing to do you probably struggle with depression so you want to identify as a depressed person the first thing you want people to know about you is i'm depressed Come on. Come on. I am not invalidating your mental health struggles. I'm saying you are not your mental health struggles. Do you hear what I'm saying? I'm not invalidating it. You may have a good reason to struggle with those things. But what you should never do is turn your identity to the things you are struggling with. I know that you have reasons to be afraid, to have trust issues. I know that you have reasons to feel like nobody cares. But when you remember 
the goodness of God. You lift your voice and say, I'm already loved. I'm already chosen. I know who I am. I know what you've spoken. Again, I'm already loved. I'm already chosen. I know who I am. I know what you've spoken. I'm already loved. More than I can imagine. That is enough. I'm already loved. Yes. I'm already chosen. I know who I am. I know what you've spoken. I'm already sun sets free oh it's free in me I'm a child of come on come on come on in my father's house in my father with some confidence there's a place I'm a child of God, child of God, yes I am, I am chosen, not forsaken, I am who you say I am, <laughs> you are for me, not against me. Say I am, I am chosen, not for sin. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say. One more time. I am chosen. Not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me. Come on. Not against me. Come on, Nakupata. Just one minute, just go ahead. Who are you? Speak to God. Who are you? <laughs> I am who you say I am. My father's house. There's a place for me. I'm a child of God. Just go ahead, go ahead. Those lies 
that the devil has told you, it's time to nullify them. It's time to speak against them. The devil has told you you are in sin and low on the righteousness of God. The devil has told you you are not worthy. No, Christ has made me worthy. He has made me able. This is the time. This is the time. This is the time. I'll give you 30 seconds more, just go ahead. Some of you need to you need to speak these words openly, shout it. Let the devil hear. I'm loved. I'm loved. I'm loved. Come on. that has held you down. I know that you have an addiction but you are more than it. You are the beloved of God. I know that you had a bad traumatic experience. You were robbed. You were raped. Something happened but you are more than that experience. You are more. You are more. You are more. You are God's loved. You are God's chosen. You are the one upon whom he has put his spirit. You are the one within whom he has chosen to dwell. You are God's dwelling place. He lives in you. In every fiber of your being. In every bone of your body. You are God's righteousness. You are God's elect. You are God's chosen. You are God's loved. And may the shackles of the identity crisis be broken. May the scales fall out and let us see as far back as the cross and derive our identity from the cross where we ought to. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Jesus' name we have prayed. Please sit down. When you leave here, the devil will do what he can do 
what he does best. He would return with suggestions, lies that don't really define who you really are. Can I challenge you to stand up to him? One of the reasons why we make confessions in this church, especially after the prayer time, is not because we believe that if we speak into the atmosphere, the universe will bring what we've spoken. No. The confessions, first of all, work on our minds. So how about instead of that defeated mentality, you switch it up a little bit. Now I'm more than a conqueror. I'm more than a conqueror. I'm going to sing this over someone because I think the Lord wants you to hear this. And now my debt is paid, it is paid in full by the precious blood that my Jesus spilled. Now the hold of sin has no hold on me, cause who the sun sets free, always oh, free. Now my debt is paid, it is paid in full by the precious blood that my Jesus spilled. Now the curse of sin has no hold on you, cause who the Son sets Thank you for listening. For more, head over to circlechurchglobal.org or visit any of the church campus addresses on the website. God bless you.